Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Nowhere in the middle of everywhere, Nigel of Bermondsey. London, Michaelmas term lately over. London. Okay, you know where you are. Radical transformation. Very radical transformation. Morally outraged with what's going on. I got very excited this week. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? As soon as you scratch the surface, you realise gore happened all across London. Every open square would have a gallery. Place called the Kittle Hoosie. Saw your Geordie's Grace riding on a goosey. The hell is that? The <laughs> man is tired of London. He's tired of so London. So, what was the first thing that caught your eye? The South has an overstuffed walrus. It's, it's a very important history. A handwritten letter from Charles Dickens. There's a piece of information we're missing here somewhere. You sneak through the city, meet what, immersing yourself in the sight, sounds. And for songs, the Jewish community who came over in their tens of thousands from uh, Russia, from Poland. We are doing a modern take on Morris dancing. When did he think the second coming was going to happen? Yes, uh, Boris. He wants to put an airport. <laughs> the, t- the tone with which Boris has announced that is fatigue. Yes, the city is always changing. Uh, people frequently say to me, you know, won't it be wonderful when it's finished? And I say, no, it'll be dreadful. Uh, it'll mean it's dead. Inform and entertain. That's what it's about. London is a modern Babylon. That's very true. Can we have some of the detail here? Hello, it's Friday, January the 25th, 2013. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and this is Londonist Out Loud, the podcast of news, views, and curiosities from London, UK. As ever, you can download the show free on iTunes. You can hook up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud or tweet me at Londonist Sound. By the way, you can find pictures. A lot of people don't know this. You can find pictures of all our guests uh, if you have a look on uh, the dreaded Instagram who, as far as I know, have reversed their weird privacy policy, which is why we're still on there. But if you want to see what everybody looks like who's been on the show recently, uh, that's the place to go. And uh, the next picture going up there will be that of Vanessa Wolf-Hoyle. I am with her at the moment, I would say, in the shadows of the Haygate Estate in South London. Uh, but it's a bit overcast, so there's no shadows. But there is a Vanessa. Hi. Hi. <laughs> You can't help noticing uh, that there is boarding all up around the Haygate Estate. There's clearly uh, some sort of work going on there, and, and that's really why we're here today. Yes, that's right. And where we're standing right now, we can look up and we can see the Haygate. It's a vast square, well, it's sort of oblong, isn't it? Monolithic housing blocks, just rows and rows and rows of straight balconies it makes the barbican center look very twisty turny doesn't it <laughs> it's just like huge enormous shoe boxes all piled on top of each other all gray and completely closed off every single window is boarded off with iron and 
and then there's loads of graffiti everywhere and right where we're standing now you can see two uh, sections on the roof where someone's got up there and they've graffitied the words now in probably what's that 10 foot high lettering must be Uh, and then so now on one of the boxes and then here on the other box and when you put them together they read nowhere so it's either now here or it's nowhere and there is some quite dramatic uh, i'm impressed with the i can't actually read what it says i think it says klepto or something like that off the off the side there uh but somebody would have been looking down uh, goodness me a 110 foot drop or something like that while they were doing that graffiti yeah very brave uh very silly we're not encouraging that sort of stuff (laughs) we are going to do something uh, possibly as silly though uh, because i've been to the haygate estate before and i went in the dead of night as part of a homeless outreach team and it was probably one of the scariest experiences uh, that I, I can remember just by dint of its isolation um for, for those who are not familiar with the idea of an estate uh, we are not here talking about rolling grassland and uh, shooting of grouse and that sort of thing this is a large uh, footprint of south london set aside specifically for low-cost dwelling and of course this went up in sort of 74 76 didn't it around yeah, about that time it's a little bit earlier than that i think but something around the early 70s anyway and uh, uh yeah so it looks completely brutalist yes this is this is neo-brutalism there was a whole uh, what was it called look or boisier who was who was interested in these kind of high-rise things and this is like the early part of the 20th century and he set this this idea of high-rise living and at the time these went up these were reasonably desirable properties weren't they yeah and they had this wonderful idea that everyone was going to live in the sky so they were going to have they've, they've got walkways up above ground level um, and, and at one point there was this idea that you would never need to put your foot on the ground that you could just walk from, from block to block you could do all your shopping up in the air you could go to the doctors up in the air but the Haygate from the outside it looks like you know pretty ugly to be honest but inside there is a wonderful surprise because it is full of the most beautiful and interesting massive mature trees well let's get trekking then um, we're currently on the new kent road and uh, heading down towards the entrance to the haygate that's right and trying so... not to get run over Re- really unattractive weather as well just to add to the whole <laughs> the grim effect Well, here we go. We're marching through the slush. And, of course, the traffic noise is pretty profound. Um, we'll be losing that in just a moment. As you come around the corner of the first batch of demolition boarding, you look up and uh, it really is an imposing site, isn't it? That's right. And where we're standing now, there used to be an entrance that you could walk down along the side of the block of flats and get through to the Walworth Road on the other side. They... That was one of the first entrances that they blocked off. They just didn't want people wandering to and fro. And there's now a sign saying, warning, no access to the Walworth Road. OK, all of this grim descriptive material really begs the question, why have you brought us here, Vanessa? Uh, I know it seems a little bit contradictory, but I find this place uh, very magical and eerie. Um, And I'm not the only one either. Lots of people find themselves attracted to this place. Um, and they've shot a lot of films here, they've shot a lot of pop videos here, and once we go inside, 
uh, we'll discover that lots of artists have been at work. And as well as that, uh, there are actually a few people who still live here. Oh, there are, aren't mm. there? Yes. Uh, now, I was here, as I say, about a year and a half ago, something like that, and there were one or two people still sticking it out. It was the middle of summer, and I remember that they had taken over one of the large central areas and had put some armchairs out there and were using it as the biggest garden that anybody's ever seen. Yeah, and now it's still the biggest garden that anybody's ever seen, only it's all under snow, and uh, they've made it... They've made it even nicer. They've got impromptu allotments there. We'll go and see. They've got, they're keeping chickens. Now, I know that that has got to appeal. <laughs> you're, a, you're a chicken keeper yourself, aren't you? Uh, yes, that's right. Nigel and I keep chickens. So we've got two at the moment called Penny and Fifi. Now, this is very much in keeping with the, the overall state of the place. There's one of the old-fashioned red telephone boxes here. Window pane smashed in. Gubbins and wires oh, hanging out. The door doesn't open. Yeah, that kind of sums it up, really. Graffitied uh, panels there. I think the, the challenge that you've got during this recording, Vanessa, is to persuade me of the magic of the place. I'm really, uh, I'm really you hoping you're going to be able to do it. Once you go inside, you will, you will be totally sold on it, I promise you. Now, for film references, uh, the films that I know about that have been shot here, uh, we've got Attack the Block fairly recently, Shank... Harry Brown, one or two. World War Z. Which one? World War Z. Is that... I don't know if that's its title now, but... You know the zombie film with um, Brad Pitt in it? Oh, we like zombies, good. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. There's there's one point in the Haygate's favour already then, okay. This church is rather wonderful, I think. This, um, as we're walking alongside now, it's a very modern 1970s church called Crossways and it serves the community here it's a very busy place it's a community hub and it's the only part of this section of uh, Haygate facing the Old Kent Road which is still in use and still occupied Now was this part of the original conception of the place then that, that, you, that you wouldn't need to take your feet off the ground to visit, the, to visit God? Yeah absolutely and if you look above you you can see there's an entrance to the church up there huh. and, and uh, in fact we can go up and then down again Should we we go up that way? Well, we can go up that way, but now we can't uh, go along any of the walkways because they've all been barred off. There are large metal grills and bars over the walkways so people can't walk on them. So you can literally go up, go in the church and come down again, that's all. I heard that there was originally a plan to link from the Haygate to the Aylesbury estate via bridge. Yes, I've heard that too, so... Where where is the Aylesbury estate in relation to this place? Uh... That's north, so it's south. It's south of here. Okay, so there's nothing obvious that... If you come along here, you'll see a bit more. There's, uh, it's, it goes up to um, Burgess Park. Where, wherever it is, though, it looks as though it must be a fair way away, so this would have to be one hell of a bridge. Oh, yeah. It would be magnificent. I mean, the Aylesbury estate is huge, so it's probably bigger than the Haygate. We're now looking at yet another huge monolithic block and a row of trees. And as it goes on, then there's another sort of matching low-rise block, which has got a what was a bakery. And there was a, a row of shops there that weren't on the ground, so they were on the first floor. And that uh, row of shops is now artists' studios that have been rented out uh, on cheap rent 
by, I think, Southwark Council have rented it out to artists. Well, that, that seems to be following the pattern of one or two other redevelopments or demolitions. I'm, I'm thinking particularly of Stratford, but also places around Manor House. The arrival of the artists is a sure sign that something's about to get knocked down. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and I think they've got, they've got it on really short leases, so I think they're just a few months. I've been in and had a look around and I actually think they're fantastic. I would say there's a cinema in there. It definitely has the air of a derelict place. It sort of seems, you know, that like there's kind of manky old carpet on the floor and things falling down and mildew and stuff like that. And yet it is also a cinema with a bar. And there's really interesting and beautiful uh, artwork on the walls and things like that. So there's a music studio in there. Well, we're just coming to the end of, I think it's Rodney Place or something like that, and we've got a little Christmas tree with the snow on it. It looks like a sort of a brutalist Christmas. It does. It really does. And uh, there's a group who campaign for uh, the preservation of the trees inside, and they've renamed the inside of the Haygate the Urban Forest, and they call themselves the Urban Foresters, and they have events, and uh, they're a bit radical and they're really very wonderful and when you get inside you will see that it really is like an urban forest it's got a very fairy tale atmosphere to it so i think before we go in we should just say a word or two because you are our, of course our guide to the haygate but what we haven't established are your credentials as a guide now what's what's your interest apart from finding the place magical which is, which is germane to your profession yeah who are you vanessa wolfer right well i'm a storyteller professional storyteller And uh, I just live up the road from the Haygate and I'm obsessed with derelict buildings, not in any uh, illegal sense of wrongdoing, but I do like to go and explore them whenever the opportunity arises. And so a couple of years ago, when they first started closing the houses on the Haygate, uh, me and my husband Nigel would go in and wander around inside and just be completely overawed by how beautiful it was and then we thought that it would be a great place to do some storytelling and some music and so we held our first storytelling there I think it was in 2010 with the help of the urban foresters they were really really helpful and on that particular day it was very funny because we'd organized it for ages and we had thousands of bookings so many bookings that we had to put on an extra night to do it but it turned out that on that day that we were going to go in and do our storytelling the entire estate had been closed off by the Southwark Film Office for shooting Brad Pitt's zombie World War Z film and this is a major uh, American film and they had closed off not only the whole of the Haygate but uh, the Brandon estate as well and there were pens for extras and there were generators for lights all around and we were not allowed in any single part. We've been building up to this event for ages so we were really upset and on the evening of uh, of the sort of when it was supposed to be there and it was getting dark and everybody was there and a big crowd of people we managed to find ourselves a little corner that no one was guarding. I don't think you could do that now, 
because it's so many of the corners have been closed off with metal grills but back then there were lots of little nooks and corners and quite a number of people still there and so we found this corner and it was completely pitch dark you could not see a single thing apart from where we had torches so we were kind of groping our way through so that's the light we all sat down lit these um kind of uh what are those garden candles you know those big garden yeah, candle things know. we lit a couple of those we told the story it was a ghost story set in the haygate and at the climax of the story where the really spooky bit comes there was an enormous explosion from the filming and everybody jumped out of their skin and it was really good fun and anyway ever since then we kind of thought oh we should go back and you know we should do another one and so we did another one and then we did another one and then we did another one and we know one of the people who's got the studio up in the uh, above the bakery and so we've got to know it quite well over the years well let's uh, let's get introduced then is now if you're listening outside of town and perhaps even outside of the UK you may not be aware but the UK has uh, survived London has survived snow which is quite remarkable normally uh, one snowflake falls uh, somewhere in Regent's Park and immediately every form of public transport puts the brakes on and everybody stays at home with the flu but we, we seem to have done quite well this time we've got a, actually quite a decent amount of snow three snowmen visible from my front door and everything's working more or less fine yeah that's right and uh, right now uh the hay gate is covered with a thick level of snow and when i went in this morning to have a wander around i saw a very trendy looking photographer coming to take photographs because this place has become a sort of magnet for people who artists i guess and photographers and um, there's a lot of very interesting and beautiful graffiti as well, which is well worth a look. We were talking earlier and you mentioned an idea which I'm very interested by of artistic ownership. And I sort of got the impression, now you, you, you can correct me here, but I got the impression that you felt um, as an artist really you'd put your flag into this ground a little while before some of the others. Yes, and I know that this is a completely well for a start it's untrue because there's definitely been artists here before I turned up um, including the urban forest that had been here for ages before I turned up and yet somehow I felt that I was one of the first people to come here and over the uh, years since I first started coming here and, and enjoying it more and more and more people have come and just enjoyed it and I mean I I think that's great so I don't really have a problem with that it's just that somehow there's a little bit of me that just feels that I was one of the early ones (laughs) I would like to say though one of the things that I really love about the Haygate is that it is still a public space and anybody can come here and anybody can enjoy it and actually perversely that's one of the things that I like probably most of all about it it's just another part of London. I really love to come here and see the new graffiti that's gone up. There's a really great one of a stag, which is done by someone called the Lewisham Nature Man. <laughs> and uh, he's, he goes around South London putting stags, white stags. And um, like there's some uh, by the River Quaggy and things like that. 
Um, and this particular stag has had a cock drawn on it, a mill wall written on its chest. <laughs> so we are passing now under one of the aerial walkways. And as you can imagine, for a complex of this size, there's at least two massive blocks. And actually, uh, since it was uh, based on it, the, the cover of that Attack the Block thing, the posters for that Attack the Block film with Nick Frost, I think it was, uh, that, that's what you're looking at here. We can see uh, one, two, three of these uh, monoliths, as you call them. Are there, are there more that we're not seeing from this point? Uh, yeah, there's some over that side that we can't see. More over there as well. And originally this was, what, about, about a, a thousand, uh, just over a thousand homes for people, about 3,000 people living on this estate. Yeah, there was... 1,107 homes or something like that so that's an awful lot of people and they're a lot of them quite a good size as well and we're processing down now uh, there's a, a roadway on one side we've got the sort of seven eight story tall block all of the windows on the first floor are boarded up all the garages on the ground floor are boarded up uh, the roadway itself completely featureless and there's a 10 foot wall on the other side yeah I'm, I'm yet I'm, I'm still not quite not convinced quite about convinced. this come we, we come around the corner now we're looking down um well what would we compare this to it, it looks like the sort of places i tell you where, what, what I recognise is from the deer hunter you know those kind of industrial towns where there's either not enough jobs or uh, you know winter time has fallen the snow has, has passed its best yeah there must be a hundred satellite dishes stuck to the edge of the oh, yeah. building as well this uh, particular little alleyway is one of the locations that I use for the story that I'm going to be telling so this particular little corner is, I believe, haunted by the ghost of a little girl. Well, it just gets better and better. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Around right, the corner... So come round here. Yeah, now... You can see there's broken, broken glass on a lot of the windows. Up there, you can actually see inside what were people's homes. You can see the colour that they've had there, wallpaper. A lot of the windows have got little uh, bars to stop children from falling out on this side. Just to stop zombies from getting in. To stop zombies. And we're going under a sort of spaghetti junction of walkways here and into an area that's uh, more of a kind of an allotment, pub, municipal gardens, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. And this is um, one of the places where there's a lot of mature trees. And one of the controversies around um, redeveloping the Haygate, which it is going to be redeveloped, and so it's all going to be knocked down and they're going to build new um, houses for people. But one of the big controversies is how many of the trees to keep. So there are 406 mature trees, and the current plan is to fell 283 Really? Yeah, that's right. And so uh, campaigners believe that we should be trying to keep more of them. You can see the challenge, of course, having to keep the layout of the trees whilst building up a new estate around it. Having said that, these are these really are mature trees. I'm no arboriculturalist. Uh, and these are not even the biggest ones. If we go around the corner, we'll find some that really are big and tall. And in the summer, this place is really lovely to cut. You've been here in the summer. When the sun is blazing... To come under here in the shade of the trees is a real pleasure that you don't actually get very much in central London. 
Um, and there's a, a sort of lawn here and um, the urban foresters have held a lot of workshops here and they have, uh, when I've been here before, they've had kind of knitting parties and things like that and picnics and uh, it's a very, very pleasant place to hang out. And actually there aren't that many places where you can go and be under the shade when the sun is blazing down. There's a wonderful old song, a uh, musical song, I think, called If It Wasn't For The Houses In Between. Yeah. Do you know it? <laughs> yes, I know that. <laughs> and I sort of think, um, I, OK, the, the area around here could do with a nice bit of garden, and it's got one right at the very heart of it. Yeah. But you can't tell because of the houses in between. Yeah, that's right. Well, if we come around a little bit further, one thing that you would notice if you were walking along here is that a lot of the boards and things have been painted grey, and the council will come in here periodically and they will paint over the graffiti that goes up. And I personally think that's a great shame because the graffiti that's here has had a lot of thoughts going into it. Um, what, what, is, what is the purpose of that upkeep, given that the place is due to be knocked down? I believe that they don't want to encourage... Um, crime so i think that they feel that this is a place where people could come and and hang out if they they are you know want to do naughty things for whatever reason and they don't want this to become that kind of place so they have to keep the lighting going one time a few months ago i came down here and i saw this poor guy wandering around on his own with a a sort of strap bag and he had a little handheld thing and he said does anybody live here and I said, yeah, I think there's a bloke over there. Why? He said, I've come to read the meter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I know. I and think those guys are on commission as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so there is someone who comes in and they do the gardening. In the summer, they come and they cut the grass and they uh, weed the gardens and stuff like that. And part of closing off the walkways, I believe, is just to stop crime you know they want to keep it a crime free zone and actually when nobody can see because it's so it's enclosed on every side mm. and it's there are lots of hidey places well the value of my sound equipment is suddenly uh, making itself felt <laughs> let's put it that way it's almost pointless giving directions here um, <laughs> from my point of view but maybe you maybe you'd like to give us a steer Right, Okay. so um, we're going to be walking into what I consider to be the heart of the urban forest. Um, And there are people who still live here, which is a very strange thing because you've got acres and acres of empty, boarded up houses with broken glass and metal shutters. And then you come to just one, I think it's over there, and then just another one where people are still living. So they're going to have a public inquiry uh, trying to find out because basically they want to have a compulsory purchase. They want to buy these houses off the people. Now the the inquiry must be to find out where the people live because it's not at all obvious. (laughs) If we walk on a little bit further we'll come to it. Yes, we should say something about the politics of all this, though, because the idea is that the place is going to be flattened, as you mentioned, and homes are going to be put in its place. And uh, where there were just over a 1,000 homes, there's going to be 2,500 taking their place. Yes. How, how is that going to work? Well, they're going to have a mixture... Well, they're going to chop down lots of trees and use that space. And there's going to be a mixture of very high-rise living and low-rise as well. There's going to be shops, there's going to be doctors, there's going to be all the things that 
people want to have there'll probably be a nursery I would imagine and it's such a big project that I think it's going to be done in stages over the next kind of 10 to 13 years so it's a huge project absolutely unbelievably big and what sort of housing is it crucially well the Haygate was built to be council housing uh, which as far as I know means housing for people who are in housing need Um, whereas these houses will be a mixture they'll be 25% affordable housing and then the rest of it will be I don't know unaffordable housing or expensive housing um, right, well, no, that's that's significant then, isn't it? Because where, where it was entirely um, for, for the sort of the lowest uh, band of need or the most pressing band of need, let's put it that way. Uh, now, what are we talking about? Um, getting on for 2,000 homes will be uh, sort of normal market rates. And this is, we've got to say, Elephant and Castle is one of those areas that's really beautifully located. As soon as someone spots how central it is, the house prices are... If I, only there was a huge lump of housing that's about to appear somewhere around here. Somebody's going to make a, a fortune there. Then there's around about 650-ish affordable houses. Yes. And, uh, and then the rest... What, what's, the, what's the grand total of council housing? 71. Hmm. Your feelings? Well, people who were moved out of here were told when they moved out that they would be allowed to move back. And so I'm assuming that they would be taking quite a lot of that allocation of council housing and I feel I don't know how realistic it is but I just generally feel that we desperately need actual council housing rather than affordable homes because affordable homes are for people who need homes and can't afford to buy homes whereas council housing is for people who maybe are disabled or for some reason they can't get a job or they've got young families or whatever and they are would otherwise be homeless And I feel that that's what we need. And I think it's very unfair to take those sort of people out from the centre of London because the centre of London needs to have a mixture of people. It doesn't want to be a ghetto of one sort of person. Hmm. Oh, I've just turned round. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to make a a profound political point, but instead (laughs) there's a lovely little sign hung up by string and uh, it looks like a a child's painted it and it says, Haygate Regeneration Scheme. So it looks as though someone's uh, taking care of all this. We don't need to worry. No no demolition (laughs) required. Uh, What we're actually uh, looking at, but you can't see because it's covered with a thick level of snow, is impromptu allotments. And so we've got rows here of old recycling boxes which have themselves been recycled and they're all planted with tomatoes and potatoes and things like that. Then underneath, well, it looks like a ski slope, but actually it's netting and underneath that are plants like beans and things like that. So this is a very large open to anyone allotment where you can just pitch up and take a bit of ground and grow things to eat Hmm. i I, I sense from uh, from the way you're admiring it that that kind of appeals to you as a sensibility (laughs) i love that idea and that's one of the great things about this being a public space is that it's a public space which anybody can turn up and they can use and it's not being wasted i hate the idea of waste and if you look over there behind you, you'll see there's some really beautiful graffiti. Someone's drawn a garden with some animals in it. She's, I know the woman who did that particular one. She's a professional artist called Rebecca Davis. She's an illustrator and she's written 
welcome gardeners and ungardeners. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's welcome in this particular garden. Well, this painting's revealed a lot to me. I didn't know that there were giraffes and uh, uh, bison in the Haygate estate. I shall be keeping an eye out for them. Yeah, that's not the only animal. There are quite a few others when you look around. (laughs) Well, we're right at the heart of the Haygate estate now. And, yeah, I can see how this enclosed space is great for creating ideas. You can kind of project onto the empty walls. Can we talk about your storytelling practice? And uh, what got you into it and how it works? Okay, so I'm a professional storyteller, which means that I tell stories for money. You'd be amazed at the different kind of places that I get asked to tell stories. So anything from nurseries, where I'll be telling stories to babies who are six months old, Right up to uh, medical schools where I'm telling stories about medical ethics to um, consultants and uh, everything in between. Um, okay, we, we need to just backtrack a bit there. Why, why would medical consultants need to, uh, to have ethics conveyed to them in that fashion? Well, that's a very interesting question because um, medical ethics is one of those subjects which is quite difficult to teach. And it's very difficult to get your head around um, the ideas, which uh, they're quite often taught in a a very quick way. Like they just say, this is the case study that says this, blah, 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 because it's considered that the most important thing, and rightly, that the most important thing that doctors need to know is how to make you better. And the medical ethics thing, yeah, it's important, but it's not quite so important. And so the people who I'm working with are interested in innovative ways of teaching medical ethics. And one of the ways is storytelling, because then you're able to get into the head of people who are in medical, various medical situations. You can see their dreams, you can see their hopes, you can see inside their bodies in a way that you can't if you're just looking at a a legal case study Um, and so there's been some research done about using stories and what we're doing uh, is also kind of a bit pioneering I guess Okay so let's think about the the relationship between um, the the audience and the storyteller I imagine that in some circumstances you're going to be very reactive that's part of storytelling right Uh, in the the oral sense you're not just laying it down the same every time um there's also some interaction and you, you've got to work with the audience the same as a, like a stand-up comic word or something like that you're, you're riding the audience to some degree yes absolutely definitely in fact i would go as far as to say it's uh it's almost uh, in fact it is it definitely is it's a collaborative process with the audience whereby you're building the atmosphere you're building the the characters you're bouncing off individuals you're bouncing off the location and I think the location is really really important for storytelling Uh, so whenever I go into a place I always before I before I roll up to do storytelling I always find out what kind of space we're going to be in and I look around and sometimes I'll suggest a different space to tell storytelling in Okay, so two things that fascinate me, uh, perhaps because they're the bits of, of of storytelling that scare me the most. First of all, I've got a shocking memory, yeah. uh, and I'm intrigued to know how you go about committing a, a story to memory. But the, the other part is that um, I guess there must come points, particularly if you're improvising to some degree or if you're, if you're constructing part of it on the hoof, reacting to the audience, where you must find yourself adrift. 
And, and what do you do at those points? What happens if you feel you're starting to lose the audience or, or you, you know, your, your mind goes blank or something? How do you deal with that? As far as remembering stories goes, it's definitely one of those things that gets easier with practice. So it used to take me like a week to learn a story. And now if it's a fairly short story, I can learn it in a couple of, uh, couple of hours. But I think that memorising stories is a lot easier than kind of memorizing prose because you don't have to remember it word for word what you have to remember is a lot of images and if it's complex it's still you still can get tangled up and and at occasions where I get tangled up I do that sort of mental trick that you do where you picture very bizarre images so for example there's a part in in the snow queen where um a witch pulls this girl's boat uh, off the river into her house and then takes her inside and offers her some biscuits. And so in my head, I picture her with a, like a long hook pulling the girl literally into a plate of biscuits. And that image of her getting pulled into a plate of biscuits and landing in the biscuits helps me to remember that she's going to get offered a biscuit when she goes into the house. And so it's little things like that all the time. Uh, And you have a sort of string of pictures in your head that help you to remember. And also saying it out loud without referring to notes. So like one time saying it out loud all the way through from beginning to end without looking at the notes is worth a hundred readings through of, of what you're trying to remember. I have had it that my mind has gone blank. Um, I was telling a story about the Holocaust in a multi-faith, um, education group and I suddenly thought to myself I saw that the guy sitting opposite me was a rabbi and I suddenly thought I bet he knows facts about this that I don't know and as soon as I thought that my mind went completely blank and I just stood there for like a minute and a half in complete silence and everyone was just looking at me and I asked him I said, uh, what was the country next to... I can't remember. What country got invaded first by the Nazis or something like that? And he knew the answer. And and then I was able to pick the story up again. And while it was happening, it felt absolutely dreadful. It felt like I'd just fallen into a huge pit of fire. But actually, afterwards, I realised that it wasn't a bad thing at all because it brought me alive as a storyteller. I became a person. I wasn't just a sort of story machine, blah, blah, blah. It gave everybody time to think. And because it's a story, one thing that I've really learned about stories is that people will hang on to the story. They will wait for you. I don't have to be there with a spoon, feed, 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 feed. People will, people will hang on halfway through a story for a really long time. They'll do it for half an hour or an hour So, for example, I was here at the Haygate in the summer and I was telling a story and I felt the first drops of rain and I knew really heavy rain was forecast. And I stopped the story in the middle and I moved us all and settled us all down in a completely different part where we were undercover. And I knew I could do that and I wasn't going to lose anybody because by that time I'd learnt that you you can leave the story. And, and people will hold on to the story because people love stories so much. People, their thoughts are constructed 
around stories. So it's that same impulse that gets us from week to week on a TV serial or something like that, where we can be left in, in the middle of things and then pick it up again. And yeah. it, But it sounds as though you're also talking about honesty. Yes, that's right. And uh, I could never be an actor. And loads of people come up to me and say, oh, are you an actor? Or, uh, and they kind of think that I might be a resting actor who does storytelling just to get a bit of money. But it's really not like that. And I absolutely couldn't do acting because acting is pretending to be somebody else and I find that cripplingly embarrassing and I'm hopelessly bad at pretending to be somebody and I do believe it's really important to be honest with the story and and that's why I can only tell stories that I believe in Um, so for example um, if I got asked by a church to tell a lot of stories from the I don't think they'd ask me but if they did ask me to tell say the gospels or something like that I would only be able to tell them from my own perspective what I wouldn't be able to do is say oh I don't know let's say the story of Jonah I couldn't tell the story of Jonah and then say to everybody and this proves how much God loves everybody because he didn't want to destroy the city of Nineveh I couldn't do that because that would not be my honest thoughts. What about then the, uh, of course you work with Nigel of Bermondsey, yes. as he's known professionally, Nigel <laughs> Hoyle, and he's uh, a musician uh, perhaps first and, and foremost, I think that's, that's fair to say. Yes. So he's telling stories and he's particularly interested in folk music and puts stories together that are... Well, I think that's the whole thing with folk music, isn't it? Is that there's lots of stories. It's a way. It's the oral tradition in musical form, um, and it's it's retaining and curating memories of various sorts, folk memories, cultural memories, um, figures of importance. That's uh, definitely Nigel's approach, and I think that probably more than anybody else I can think of, he's a real modern folk. Uh, I don't know if troubadour is the right word, but, you know, he really is very interested in the history and the sociology. He writes songs about things that are happening now that he thinks are important, um, things that have happened, places that are important. He's written a lovely song about this place. So then what, uh, what's the difference between the sorts of stories he can tell and the sorts of stories that you can tell? There is a certain overlap, but I'm not so interested in telling straight historical stories, whereas Nigel, for instance, um, tell the story of the Marchioness disaster uh, in the Thames, and he'll just tell it straight. He'll explain what happened. And for me, although I do tell occasionally historical stories, I prefer stuff that is kind of i i am drawn towards kind of magical stories and stories that have more structure to them rather than just saying well this is what happened <laughs> yeah no that makes that yeah. makes a lot of sense so uh, th- there's an element of record going on in for example nigel's yes that's uh, right. where, whereas well you're you're uh, you're company is called Dreamtime, London, London Dreamtime. Dreamtime. Yeah, that's right, London Dreamtime. So I trade under London Dreamtime. And for me, what I find very inspiring is to find a place, find out about its history, find out about the people who used to live there, and then I take a story that is relevant to that. So, for example, 
I went and I did some storytelling in Wapping and I told an old Jewish story called The Gollum. Yeah, I'm going to be going up to Wapping Old Stairs actually and doing it with a school as part of a writing project. But um, basically the idea is that the, uh, this uh, Jewish rabbi who I've made into a Jewish tailor... Um, who is a very Kabbalistic and has all this kind of secret knowledge is able to create a golem from clay and put life into it and I have it that he's able to create a golem from the mud of the Thames which is of course clay and put life into it and I'll explain what happens in the story um, and so I've taken elements of the cultural the people who are in that part of London historically, it's Jewish area, plus um, a lot of elements of the, the geography and the history of that area. But I've put it into, as it were, a sort of, I don't proper story is the right word, but, you know, a sort of real beginning, middle end, lots of twisty, turny bits, exciting bits, uh, you know, sad bits, whatever. Fictional. <laughs> um, we, should, we should probably keep trekking shouldn't we yes let's go down here and look at the chickens <laughs> um, a man lives here whose name i believe is andrew but there's his home anyway and then what i like about his home is that as you step outside then there's loads of old chairs old sofas old tables uh tires that you can sit on benches to make this into um an outdoor garden and it's all covered in snow. <laughs> For somebody with no neighbours, Andrew seems uh, to have quite a sort of a social, sociable sensibility in the way that he's arranged his garden. Uh, I don't know if his name is Andrew. I think it's Andrew. But anyway, yeah, he certainly does. And in fact, he's a very sociable person by the looks of things. There's always people coming and going. Right, so here we are at the chicken coop, uh, which the netting over the top to keep the foxes out has been so heavily covered with snow that it's almost come down. Let's just have a look and see if they're in here. I'm not hearing any chicken noise. Look, oh, they haven't got out yet. Look, they're still in their coop and you can see there's a special arrangement of string. The coop is made from old paving stones piled up like a beehive except for quite a lot higher and there's an arrangement with wood and string so that you can open the coop without actually going all the way in only it's down so i don't know if they just thought let's not let them out because it's too cold or we've let our chickens out do you know for the the first time i was just thinking about <laughs> I was just thinking about their their experience in this rather um stuffy little thing with the front door blocked up and I suddenly understood the meaning of cooped up. Cooped up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In fact, in a way, they're living the exact reverse experience that uh, Andrew is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. OK, no chickens today, no unfortunately. No chickens, never mind, never mind. OK, um, I wouldn't mind your coat. Well, I thought that might happen to me on the Haygate estate. <laughs> and, your, and your phone. And are you, your... you going to be warm enough if I take your coat? Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. All right, so we're moving away now from the uh, armchair zone. And the, this feels a bit crystal mazy, actually. The armchair zone and the regeneration <laughs> zone. Somebody's had a go at a snowman here. Yes, that's right. Well, it's part of a snowman, isn't it? A disembodied. Yeah, but you can see how many people have been here since it's been snowing. It's hardly pristine, is it? Look at all the footprints. There's People have come and walked their dogs here this area where we are now there's a lot more trees as you can see there's a lot of open space in the summer this again is a lovely shady area there's a children's playground what was a children's playground uh, the, and, and there's sort of like 
all the walkways and everything lead to a sort of and and all the walls and everything i think they lead to a sort of tangled feeling which when mixed together with the trees and all the plants and all the greenery do give a real impression of a forest and i think that as a st- storytellers are obsessed with forests and there's a reason for that because the forest is where you go when you're not safe and the forest is where the magic happens and the forest is where strange things go on and if there was ever a space in london that is that equivalent surely it's here and i know you said you know you felt a little bit just a little bit nervous coming in here because you don't know what you're going to find maybe there's going to be you know people around there's maybe there's going to be trouble and that's i think the sense that we would have had in the old days as a people of going into the forest well it's interesting you say that yeah that certainly was there and i think part of it is that strange feeling in the middle of a city of being in an area where there are no people where you're out of sight yeah that's right and that's one of the things that i think has has brought so many people to this place that it is it's nowhere in the middle of everywhere as nigel song says it's there's nothing here but you can't be seen and so this is your place for doing things that are somehow maybe slightly on the outside yeah there's definitely a sense of calm going on here uh we've spotted one or two other people since we've been here on the other side of the children's playground that still has a little roundabout there and uh, there's somebody who is it looks like they might be moving out in fact maybe that's one of the the last residents departing or something yeah possibly i've got a feeling that the people who are actually living here have now stuck it out for so long that they're going to that's it they're going to dig their heels in and they're going to wait for the bulldozers to come and physically dig them out that's the feeling that i get maybe they're shooting actually i bet you they're shooting a pop video i bet you anything they're shooting a pop video almost all the times you come down here and you see people doing things they're shooting a pop video because it's just such a so empty it's a great place to shoot a pop video well i think we should see if we can get ourselves in a pop video then i haven't done that for a while let's, let's let's go over so we've more or less traversed the estate now. We're coming up to the block that represents the opposite boundary. Let's uh, deal with the only news story that we propose to approach this week. And it's on the other side of the river, up the hill. Yes, that's right. And they've discovered a uh, very rare spider in the catacombs of Highgate Cemetery. And uh, I think this is great because it's so fabulously gothic and they're all really excited about it the fact that it's a a very spooky spy it's really quite big or at least it looked quite big in the photo a really kind of quite a disgusting looking spider i don't know if you like spiders i I have no i've just learned that about myself in the last two seconds i have no feelings about spiders (laughs) right well anyway this is like a sort of big shiny round brown bottom spider and the reason that I like it is because I like the idea of things living in the catacombs because the catacombs are a place where dead people are supposed to be and so the idea that not only would things be living there but actually you know a very rare and unusual species of spider would be living there 
the symbolic links to our location this week are all too obvious a place <laughs> that uh, is still managing to generate uh, new ideas and new life even as it's uh, on its last oh, legs yeah I hadn't thought of that yeah that's absolutely right well it also reminds me uh, Nigel and I did something in West Norwood Cemetery last year um, a sort of evening event in the uh, in the cemetery after dark, which we were very privileged to be allowed to do. And one of the things that we did was Nigel made an installation of a song which he actually had to go into the catacombs. So the song was, was supposed to be coming out of the catacombs, so he had to go in on his own to the Victorian catacombs and rig up all the sound system and stuff with... Um, with batteries and like amplifiers and things like that and he said it wouldn't work and so he went down on his own to try and sort it out and every time he would bring the 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 music out it would work absolutely fine and every time he'd go in it wouldn't work and so because he's a bit of a pagan at heart he thought that perhaps the spirits needed appeasing and so he got a bottle of beer and he uh, spread it by the entrance to the catacomb and uh, not inside it, I hasten to add, uh, but just by the grass, by the edge, as a gift. And after that, it worked fine. Of course, anybody stumbling upon that activity would completely misunderstand it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, if you're a fan of stories, yes, you know what I'm going to say, audible.co.uk has a free story for you. And uh, it will be delivered not quite in the same style as Vanessa Wolf Hoyle. It's not going to be an interactive one-on-one. They don't send someone round. Uh, but it is a story that's read to you. It's an audio book. And there's a free one waiting for you if you try a 30-day free trial of the Audible service. I'm going to get onto Audible when I get back to, to see what my token for this month is going to get me. I have a few ideas in my mind. I want to have a look through their catalogue. They've got 60,000 books there. And you can get a free one, and it's yours to keep whatever happens. Uh, not whatever happens. N- not whatever happens. Nuclear war, I can't say that they guarantee that. But um, Do you know what? I'm sure if a nuclear war came round, Audible wouldn't come round and go, it's nuclear war, we're going to have to get the book back. <laughs> <laughs> so you can keep that book, and to sign up and get it, all you need to do is go to www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist and click through. We should just quickly mention the the show. So it's a few months away, but um, yes. what's the what's the next event, and uh, how can people find out more? Nigel and I are both going to be here, and we're going to do um, some stories. And I'm going to tell the story that I originally conceived for the Haygate back in whenever it was a couple of years ago. So it is site specific ghost story um, inspired by walking you know inspired by walking around and kind of soaking up the atmosphere how this place was a couple of years ago um nigel's going to do some songs we're going to and what i'm really really hoping but we haven't quite managed to organize it yet but i think we will is i've got victorian magic lantern and we're hoping to project some slides from the victorian magic lantern on the walls as well well, that will look absolutely amazing. Um, for people to find out more, where should they go? Uh, so there's a Facebook page for it, and it's called Supernatural Urban Forest. But if you want to book your place, you email neckandjanelle at yahoo.com. 
and of course there'll be links on the show page in the usual fashion well thank you very much for bringing us here to a snowy Haygate estate this this could be one of the last recorded visits to it before uh, you know maybe it gets boarded up uh, completely after your storytelling uh, who knows how long it's going to be here but it's a, a very interesting place okay I think I'm sold I think, oh, I think you did the job. I'm so glad. I was just about to ask you that. So, <laughs> Well, from the Haygate Estate here at Elephant and Castle, Vanessa Wolfhoy, thank you very much. Thank you. Here she stands, mark of the mighty man, carried on the backs of dirt scripts off the floor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.